we have to understand that when we do research, it's not about subjects and participants. It's about collaboration and partnerships. That's what we do at the Social Work Research Center. It's collaborations, partnership. It's not participants, subjects. The people we work with are active collaborators and partners in the research we do. If, if they weren't, we couldn't do what we do. You can't do applied research without the community being engaged, mm-hmm. without them being partners in helping drive the agenda, identify where the data is coming from, help you make sense of the data, and help you disseminate the work. Welcome to Health and Human Science Matters, a podcast by Colorado State University's College of Health and Human Sciences. I'm your co-host and digital media strategist, Avery Martin. And I'm Matt Hickey, Associate Dean for Research and Graduate Studies. In our college, we make it our mission to optimize human health and well-being through discovery and innovation. Don't just take our word for it. Each episode, we sit down with people who fulfill that mission, our college faculty and staff. And today, we've got a friend from Social Work, Dr. Mark Winoker. Mark, welcome. Thank you, guys. Great to be here. Well, we're glad to have you. We're looking forward to, you know, it's always fun because we chat before we get sort of on air here. And so you've already piqued our interest about some some tales. Yeah, yep. But I'm going to start with with sort of, you know, the big things that, that occupy your time that, that you pursue as a professional, right? So talk to us about big questions, big problems, things that you and the Social Work Research Center that you lead work on on a daily basis. Yeah, great question. Um, you know, I think we have a mission for family strengthening, child and youth well-being, enhancing community protective factors. It's all within a preventing child maltreatment lens. So all of our work kind of has that umbrella. But those are the key things, family, community, and, and youth well-being. And trying to use research and evaluation to uh, enhance all of those things and to, and to really make a difference. Uh, our tagline is research for results. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've been doing this long enough where... If we're not making a difference, if we're not making an impact, then, you know, what are we doing? You know, like, I mean, this is this is what the work is, is to really make a difference in the community with families. And really all of our research and evaluation work is focused on that. That's great. So, I mean, this is a classic example of what we now call engaged scholarship, right? I mean, people and policy are the outcomes you're interested in, right? Yes. Uh, practice, people, and policies. Yeah. I, I throw a third P in there. Um, it's an applied research center. So we've always been embedded in the community and partnering with practitioners because they can make the true difference. Um, I got my degrees here in education, and I know we'll talk more about that probably, but I was a little concerned when I got through my PhD that um, education had just a lot more layers of bureaucracy as far as federal policy, state policies, right. district, superintendent, principal, teacher. To get to that student level, I just felt like, is my work going to really make a difference at the level of where the learning happens? And then um, on a lark, I ended up in social work. And what I realized quickly is you have a much better opportunity to actually work with the professionals who make the decisions, who interact with families on a day-to-day basis. So the research goes right to them, and they could integrate that into what they do. And as an academic, that's what I wanted to do. You know, I love, I love the, you know, the higher level stuff of conferences and presentations and publications and kind of, you know, a life of the mind. But really, it's to me about making a difference, 
improving people's lives through research and evaluation. And I felt like social work and in particular child maltreatment prevention gave me the best chance to do that. So these contexts are city, county, state social workers themselves, right? Yeah, I mean, it's county and state. So uh, Colorado has a state-supervised, county-administered child welfare system. What that means is the counties really have the ability to innovate and to really drive their own practice to meet the specific needs of their communities. So we get to work with county uh, practitioners. A lot of them are social workers, not all, but they're all child welfare practitioners. And they either have the frontline staff or the supervisors, the administrative level. So we get to work with all the different levels and, and layers of the work. And then also through our state contacts, they are the decision makers. So they help drive the policy, make the rules and regulations, deal with the budgeting and, and the financial aspects. So we kind of have our fingers in all those different areas so we can, you know, really help translate what we do to the information that they need to, you know, to really change their practice or enhance their practice to stay up with the current trends in research and just make sure that they're data driven, outcome focused while, you know, doing all the social work skills to engage sure. families and and provide the services and resources people need. And among the many things that would be covered here, I'm assuming things like foster care are part of the the umbrella of services that are in your portfolio. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think if I'm known for anything more internationally, nationally, it's the work we've done on kinship care. So mm -hmm. kinship care is the placement of children and youth who have been removed from the home for a safety concern to their kin. Kin broadly defined, you know, it could be a family friend, but usually relatives, grandparents. And when I first started here, there was the apple doesn't fall far from the tree mentality in child welfare that if a family was struggling and there was a safety concern, the last thing you want to do is bring that child to someone else in the family because it, it would seem to be multi-generational. Mm. So we looked at the research and we did uh, what's called a systematic review, which is a very uh, involved literature review funded by the Campbell and Cochrane collaborations. Those are the two big clearinghouses for evidence-based research in the social science and medical science fields mm -hmm. and did a systematic review that looked at all the literature to date on kinship care and found that it had better or as good outcomes as foster care. And so kind of demystified this myth around uh, apple uh, doesn't fall far from the tree. And that's really changed practice. Mm. Uh, here in Colorado now, the first option is always kin for placements. Yeah. And this is really in line with both kind of European policy and then U.S. policy around uh, kin first. So that particular systematic review and its update are the most cited work that I've ever done. You know, any, any study on kinship care references that. And I know that because I get to review all of the kinship care <laughs> research in the four or five journals where I'm a manuscript uh, reviewer. So nice. I always check to see if, if, uh, if our study is in there, just because it's kind of, the, you know, the gold standard systematic review is you know, at the top of the evidence chain for, for research sure. um, because of its rigor and, and um, comprehensiveness. That has to be doubly gratifying, at least, right? Your your peers recognize the quality of the scholarship, and, and but it has a direct impact on practice again. Yeah, this study has got me around the world, too. I've been able to present in Oslo, Copenhagen, Australia, London, uh, Chicago. Uh, <laughs> so I've gotten just so many opportunities to meet with international researchers because, you know, that's not something we always get to do uh, here at CSU is have that international frame and to have contacts in 
colleagues, you know, I, I, you know, we, we co-authored this with a researcher from the University of Tromso in Norway. Mm. Um, it just was a great, you know, initial opportunity for me to kind of be known a little bit in the field. And but really the, the bigger pleasure of it all is that it's impacted policy and it's changed trajectories of, of children, youth and families here in Colorado as far as keeping kids safe, you know, enhancing their well-being and, and having them have permanency, which are the three tenets of child maltreatment prevention. That's great. That's yeah. incredible. T- tell us a little bit about the history of the Social Work Research Center for those that don't know much about that. Thank you for asking that because uh, I love talking about this. So we this is our uh, 19th year. So um, we're the little center that could. I mean, we're really <laughs> not... We're much more well-known, actually, at the state and county level. Like, people know Mark from CSU and, you know, and, and, and the Social Work Research Center. We're honestly less known within the university. Um, it's interesting. Yeah, it is, yeah. it's an interesting um, dynamic. Um, you know, we are a six-person center. We have anywhere from 13 to 15 projects. But started in 2004. This was the brainchild of Deborah Valentine, who was the director of the school of social work at the time, and Jim Drendel, who was the division manager here in Larimer County DHS for Ch- Children, Youth, and Families. So they came up with an idea of, we need more research. We need a partnership, and it's really a, a research practice partnership, an RPP. It's the longest standing RPP, this project that launched Social Work Research Center called the Applied Research and Child Welfare Project, ARCH. So that was the genesis of, of the center, was that one project. So I was hired as a postdoc in a, in a one-year kind of flyer position to get this off the ground. Mm-hmm. And 19 years later, I'm still the director of the center. Um, but it was it was started on a very small budget and one project. And it's grown to be like a million-dollar-a-year center. We're 100% externally funded. Uh, we don't get any, any funding from the university. It's all uh, soft money. Mm-hmm grants and competitive grants and contract funding. And it's like a small business. I mean, it's an entrepreneurial venture. Um, You know, we have to deliver. That was what Jim Drendel, who was one of my mentors, said to me. He's like, listen, you have to deliver. Because, you know, back then and, you know, even now, higher ed has, you know, a reputation, at least in the community, as, you know, being... You know, you're, you're, you're doing high level stuff, you know, you're, you're writing, you're writing uh, manuscripts, you know, are you, are you down at the community level and can you deliver for the community? So that was always the mantra for me, deliver, deliver, deliver. And that's just a matter of that collaboration and partnership, making sure that you're listening to the community, listening to your partners and doing what they need, you know, while bringing your own flair and sure. background methodological chops, you know, to the table. So, yeah, so, you know, we are, you know, we're in the school of social work. We're over in Alder Hall right now. So it's a fantastic space. You know, we've, we've been very fortunate to be able to secure good space, you know, uh, throughout the years um, at the university. I know it's very challenging uh, for centers to, to have that space. So it shows the commitment of the university and the college to the work we do. And, yeah, I mean, my, my dad was a small business owner and, you know, he wanted me to take over his business. It was in the hotel supply uh, field. Oh, and interesting. You know, when I when I got my PhD, he still thought I was coming back to take over the business. Um, it was a tough conversation that, no, sure. I chose a different path. But I use so much of what he taught me because, you know, of course, I, you know, I worked for my dad for many years in his business. He taught me it's all about relationships. That's the cornerstone of, uh, of life and uh, business. So this center is all about long-term relationships that I still have with people. Mm. 
because we deliver and because we're good partners and we have our heart in the right place. And that's what I'm best at is that relationship building and sustaining. You know, without that, it's really hard to do the work we do. And, you know, in all the years I've been here, I haven't really burned any bridges with people because you just never know when that relationship is going to be important to you. Well and um, so I've always valued just other individuals and their and their roles. And um, yeah, that's how that's how we're still here. It's relationships. It's the great talented people we brought in. It's the fantastic partners we've had. And it's just the importance of the work in, in making those differences. So um, yeah, 19 years and, you know, and, and counting. And counting. That's it. That's really cool. Let's let's push this personal history. So you, you've opened the door to dad here a little bit. And I want to talk about, you know, your, your sort of childhood. Where did you grow up and family influences? And then, of course, the particularly for our listeners, right? We As we talked about before we got on the air, the you know, educational trajectories are not cookie cutters by any stretch of the imagination. They can vary widely. So talk to us about your history. Yeah, absolutely. No, this is... Um... This is the fun part is the, is the personal aspect of, of the work we do and just getting to know people, you know, on that level here. Um, so I was born in Brooklyn, uh, lived there till I was four and I grew up in New Jersey, child of the 70s and the 80s. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, uh, I still I still love that, you know, being a Gen Xer and just having that time before technology sure. kind of took over. Um yeah, you know, I was I was a good student. You know, um, I, I was. It's funny. I was much more kind of math inclined, but uh, I went to University of Michigan for my undergrad, and I was an English major. Which again, uh, my dad was questioning, like, so not pre business. I'm like, no, you know. Like, <laughs> oh, wow. I I think you know English to me, and it was it was like more, more like on poetry, beat poetry, African American poetry uh, focus, and it was just the ability to kind of critically think kind of be able to communicate your opinions and your feelings, you know, with evidence. Mm -hmm. And I ended up uh, moving to Hawaii for a year oh. uh, after after college. So and Jersey to Ann Arbor to Hawaii. That's yeah, right. it's not the typical trajectory. <laughs> um, actually, uh, uh, my brother's best friend from New Jersey uh, lived on Kauai. So um, I figured, you know, Better, you know, better now than than later or, you know, maybe never later if you don't do it now. So right. move there. I lived there for a year and I was an organic farmer. And this is important because huh. that is the key to my career. Okay. Organic farming in Hawaii. I'm interested. Okay. So, uh, so I lived there for a year. You know, um, I loved it. It's expensive though. And, you know, even 87 and breezy can get a little boring, you know, growing <laughs> up on the East Coast with the seasons. Uh, I figured, you know what, I'm going to move back to the States, to the mainland, uh, as we said back then, and <laughs> see what happens. So I actually moved back to New Jersey and I found a position at Rutgers University, okay. actually Cook College, Department of Nutritional Sciences, to develop and coordinate a community gardening and nutrition program in the public housing communities in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Okay. So I just kind of said, hey, I'm an organic farmer. Like I had no community organizing, uh, you know, experience, you know, wasn't a social worker. But we basically um, took some empty lots in the public housing communities. We turned them into gardens. A lot of the residents were from the South, so it really aligned with kind of their history, their interests, their background. And we created some really successful community gardens in New Jersey. And this is kind of a foreshadow to like the rest of my career, but the community members said, we need something for the kids. Like, mm. this is great for us, but the kids need something. So we developed uh, a youth farm stand project. So we created an entrepreneurial curriculum. We got funding from JTPA Job Training Partners. Act. And okay. it was, from my understanding, the first ever 
JTPA funding that allowed for an entrepreneurial component where we were able to pay the kids a stipend, but also they kept the profits from the farm stand. Excellent. So this was a rural-urban relationship. So Jersey's the garden state, you know, so um, there were farms very close to the city, partnered with the farmers to, to purchase the, the produce and then sell them at farm stands in the public housing and created a curriculum, you know, with, you know, around accounting and marketing and sales and, and, and just, you know, other elements of entrepreneurship. And it was amazing. It was just incredible to see the youth have something that they could apply their interests and abilities to and have it be just more of a holistic community approach, you know, with, with the gardens and the farm stand. And uh, I love CSU. I love all everything I've done, but it's still probably my favorite job I've ever had, oh, just yeah. from the ability to make those connections with families and with communities. Mm -hmm. um, so I had met my now wife, but then, then girlfriend there. She was just finishing up her natural resource degree uh, at Cook College, and she wanted to get out of New Jersey. Uh, she was from Alexandria, Virginia, and um, I'm like, all right, let's, let's do it. So we hopped in our Chevy van. Uh, there's a song, I think, about that. But uh, <laughs> did a four-month trip around the country, wow. 17,000 miles, 35 states, 35 national parks, to try to find you know, our, our, our landing spot. Sure. We spent one day in Fort Collins, went to Avos, um, and we're like, we're moving here. Now, I, I did have another friend from where I grew up in New Jersey who did live uh, live here. So there was, you know, a slight connection. Sure. Mm -hmm. And actually, uh, Heather, my wife, was going to go back to school here for natural resource management. Uh, and we're still here. That's uh, that's that's 20, almost 28 years ago when we moved here. And then I started working for the Pony Express. I was delivering packages in that same Chevy van. <laughs> um and then I one day opened the Colorado and, and saw a, a position for a entrepreneurial specialist. Hmm. So I was like, huh, all right, I, I can do that. I did that, you know, at, at Cook College. So this was in the OT department. They had gotten a grant to develop a curriculum for the um, youth at risk programs in the high school. So I applied for that position and just talked my way into it and, <laughs> and got hired. And that was a fantastic job. I mean, we basically developed curricula for uh, youth to run their own businesses as part of like the PACE and ACE programs sure. in the high schools. Mm -hmm. And these were youth who had some behavioral you know, challenges and they were on certain kind of you know, um, models around their behavior management. But one thing I realized was give them something that they want to do, that they have skills to do, and that will keep them kind of focused and we just had the greatest time, dog houses, uh, Christmas ornaments, all kinds of businesses that they designed, they developed, and they did. And this is, again, foreshadowing to the kind of the work we do where the community is the one driving our research agenda. You know, like, what do they need? What do they want to do? So I took that job and did that for a couple of years here in the OT department. It was a, a Center for Community Participation at the time, now Center for Community Partnerships. Mm -hmm. And the amazing thing is they're also in Alder Hall with us now. So That's it's, just right. come, yeah. it's just come full, full circle, circle for me to be yeah. back in the same building where I started. And then I said, you know what, let me see about taking some courses because, you know, I, I needed some additional training and kind of like, you know, teaching and learning methodology, you know, to kind of do a curriculum. So I started a master's in education and the, the beauty of working full-time at CSU was, you know, you get tuition benefits yeah. and yeah. it took me several years to get the master's degree. Um, and uh, at the time I was also working for Bill Timson in education. Oh, sure, yeah. uh, he's one of my big mentors and helping 
facilitate a first-year seminar at the time. Mm -hmm. And I got my MED, and then I said, okay, what can I do? And they're like, well, do you have a teacher license? I'm like, "Uh, no. They're like, "Uh, that MED isn't really worth much. I'm like, oh, (laughs) I should have probably asked that before. I mean, this is literally how things go. (laughs) There was no plan here. Like this, Uh from organic farming to now I have an MED that I can't really use. So I said, well, what can I do? They're like, well, you can get a PhD. I'm like, Okay, let's do that. So, I mean, you know, that was literally what it was like. So, I uh, started the PhD in education and human resource studies. And this is where I made my shift from the teaching and learning side into the research and evaluation side. So, I went to work for the R&D Center, Research and Development for Advancement of Student Learning, which was a center at the time, which was a collaboration with Poudre School District and CSU. And my two big mentors were Ann Foster and Brian Cobb. Um, Yeah, yeah. And just, you know, they kind of took me in. I had no research and evaluation experience at all. But this is when I started to realize this is kind of where I see an opportunity and frankly, where I could have employment for for a long time. Because it started to become clear that without research and evaluation, you know, a lot of the work cannot be done. So Worked at the R&D Center as a GRA. I got my PhD, and it was more of an emphasis in research and evaluation. That really wasn't a specialization at the time. Uh, They they ended up creating a program for specialization uh, for that after we left, because there was a lot of us in that cohort who really were pushing the envelope, taking classes in psychology and, you you know, all across the university to kind of get that methodological training. Uh, So got that degree in 2004, and uh, then, yeah, to brings me to the Social Work Research Center, taking that one-year postdoc. I'll just say one more thing is um, I was literally on a plane at DIA headed to Logan Airport in Boston to interview at University of New Hampshire for a faculty position in education. It was the day of that massive blizzard in 2004. I'm on the plane. They then say the flight's been canceled. Logan Airport is, is closed. I got off that plane. I never made the trip, and I'm here 19 years later oh, because of that snowstorm. <laughs> and even my wife's like, mm, yeah, I don't know if we'd be married or you'd have kids with me right now if you had gotten that plane. So my whole life literally changed because of that blizzard in wow. Boston. Like, everything could have been different. So That is wild, isn't wow. it? That is so cool, like how so much was almost chance to a degree, but also – you finding your way and finding your niche and everything. That's really cool and, and important for the younger listeners to know. Yeah, and like, you know, I have i have two kids. I have, I have a, a 12-year-old and an almost 17-year-old now. And that probably informs my parenting style, like sure. yeah. trying to let them find their way. You know, you, you try to provide some guardrails and, and some, you know, some of your experience. But I think you have to find your own way and you have to find what your passion is and what drives you. And you know, given the opportunities, you know, we're you know, fortunate and blessed to have those opportunities to, to provide them with the option to do theater and play sports and the other things that, that, that kids can do now. But um, so I think it's my life lesson is just, yeah, kind of, you know, create your future, you know, develop your skills. You know, you, you need skills. You need to have your talent developed and tested, but don't have a preconceived notion of where everything is going to end up and just be open to the opportunities and the possibilities that that life brings you. And a lot of times it is chance and a lot of times it is it is random and fate, you know, and uh, just trust, I guess. Well, life is full of surprises, too, and that can that can be part of the fun, right? Yes. So, uh, you know, you mentioned your dad, you mentioned Brian and Ann. I want you to talk a little bit about 
you know, lessons learned, or we often use the metaphor of sort of, you know, people whose fingerprints we still sort of carry with us as, as professionals and scholars. Talk, talk a little bit about, you know, mentoring influences on how you go about the day-to-day conduct of your professional duties. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's so influenced by these mentors. So Bill Timpson, you know, he, he really taught me about, like, the heart, you know, like, the work we do is about your heart, and it's about connection. It's about doing the right thing. It's about trying to make the human condition better. And, you know, that's why I went to university, you know. So when we were teaching that first year seminar, it was about sustainability. So this is, oh goodness, we're talking early 2000s. So this is back before there had been an environmental movement, but, you know, this is kind of still before it was more mainstream and, and more accepted. So teaching students at a university about sustainability was innovative at the time. Sure. But there was some pushback about, like, is, you know, is this academic? You know, is, how is this, you know, how is this, you know, preparing them for their future? And, you know, Bill was, you know, always just you know, high integrity, high character, always willing to push back and challenge authority. And, you know, I think that really resonated with me, you know, um, I don't know if we'll get into it. You know, I, I have some other, you know, I mean, I was, you know, I'll just say, you know, it, back in the 80s at, at Ann Arbor, I was a hippie. I mean, you know, <laughs> a lot of Grateful Dead shows uh, sure, during yeah. <laughs> during my college years. And, you know, I was, I was a hippie. And, you know, I still have the hippie ethos, you know. Uh, my hair isn't as long anymore. But that community, you know, that feeling of poking authority in the eye a little bit and and doing what we think is right. That's, that, that's what I learned from Bill. Um, you know, Ann and Brian... Taught me how to run a center. I mean, you know, just to observe them running this research center and learning how to do it, you know, how to be a good partner, how to treat people well. You know, I think that the one thing that's underrated about these centers is it's not just like the researchers doing work. It's an entire university effort. The teams we work with from our fiscal officer to sponsored programs to IRB to IT communications. I mean, this is what makes the center work. And it's those relationships and it's how you treat people and it's how you bring value to what they do and let them bring value to what you do. That's what I learned from them. And it's not just the research. You know, that's a big part of it, but you don't have a center without everything else. And so I think it's that holistic idea of what the work we do is um, that I definitely learned from them. And then Deb, you know, Deb Valentine and Jim Drendel, um, in kind of getting this off the ground, um, you know, I mentioned delivering. It's honoring the practitioners. You know, they're doing the the work. Um, I'm doing some interviews now with caseworkers. I mean, they have the hardest job in the world. I think this is just the hardest job to help families provide for their families, to help them keep their kids safe with all the pressures they're under, the, the, the time restrictions, the lack of resources, the high accountability, the low kind of public esteem for the work they do. So I always came in very humble, you know, not being a social worker or a practitioner. I always say I'm a social worker in the heart, but not by training, but then just having that respect for the field and for the profession. That's what I learned from them, that they're doing such a hard job. You know, can we make it a little easier by providing them with research and evaluation that they can integrate into what they do? Give them that additional tool uh, in their tool belts. So yeah, I think those are some imprints. You know, obviously, you know, I mentioned my dad and just that, that relationship uh, piece. And uh, yeah, I think those are my those are my major influences and in kind of how I still hold myself today as as a professional. That's great. I want you to tell us a little bit about a, a day in the life, right? Of 
business at the Social Work Research Center, and I'm interested in what, you know, what does a day look like for the Social Work Research Center team, not just you? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a team-based science approach, you know, I think, um, which I love. And that's been another kind of journey for me is going from kind of the sole proprietor, you know, so to speak, of the center to, to being a leader um, and to understanding how to have a team and to invest in them the professional development, the trust, the skills, the responsibility to do their work, but also for them to grow. And, and you know, I mean, I definitely started out as I have to be involved in every aspect. I have to know exactly what's going on in every project. And, you know, that stifles people's creativity. It stifles their uh, ability to grow. And yeah, you might get a good product, but at what cost? You know, I'm about developing the team that I'm with and I'm under no illusion that they're all going to stay at the center forever. But if when they leave, I want them to do bigger and better things, take the train they had, take the confidence they gained and the skills that they learned and really go out in the world and just crush it. And um, that's where I get the most pleasure from this is when when and I have people out there doing just unbelievable things out there. And frankly, they've gone well beyond me methodologically. And I'm good with that. Like, I, I want them to go past me. I mean, that's, you know, just like, you know, you want your kids to do better than you did. You, I want my team to do better than, than I'm doing. You know, I'm, I'm OK being the rock here and, 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 and being that kind of hub. But the day to day is we have a team of between five and six. And, you know, being a soft money center, that's that's a balancing act. Having the right personnel to meet the projects, but not overcommitting, where you'd have to let someone go from not having the funding. Sure, and we've yeah. never let anyone go ever from not having funding to oh, support them. People great. who have left have had just other great opportunities. So that's huge to me. I don't want to bring someone in and then you know we can't you know we can't keep them. So a day in the life is you know it's changed after COVID. You know sure. we. Um, it felt like it used to be a lot more analysis, writing time, and some meeting time. It feels like that's flipped a little bit. Like, we just have a lot more meetings than we've ever had. Unfortunately, a lot of our partners haven't yet gone back to in-person. I used to be in Denver once or twice a week mm -hmm. uh, for meetings. I mean, mm -hmm. for, for 15 years uh, mm -hmm. going down there. Mm -hmm. um, but now it's Zoom, you know, it's Teams, it's WebEx, you know, it's it's Google. You know, it, it's, all, it's all the uh, me, uh, meeting apps. Um, so... But, you know, the meetings are productive. They are with our partners. They're co-generating the research. You know, it's 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 partnering with them on. Uh, so I think we're much more communicative now than we've ever been. And it's much more of a partnership than before they would hire us. We'd kind of go do our work and then we'd kind of present that to them. It's much more of an iterative process now where we're working together and using the meetings as that means. You know, otherwise, you know, like, you know, like a research center, you know, we have qualitative and quantitative data, you know, a lot of mixed method research. So... It's a lot of data collection, a lot of survey research. So we, we have surveys out in the field all the time. So it's processing that data. It's, you know, analyzing, you know, focus groups, interviews that we're doing. Um, secondary administrative data sets is a lot of our work that we get from the child welfare system, analyzing that data. Spent a lot of time on writing reports. And now we've moved into better data visualization and more consumable dissemination tactics. So briefs, uh, infographics. So a lot of time spent, you know, kind of working on that. 
and then also presenting and being with the community. You know, we just had a meeting last week uh, as part of our Larimer County Collaboration Grant where we're meeting with agency partners. And it's so amazing because we're, we're talking, you know, we're starting with kind of like numbers of referrals and things like that, but it goes into a much deeper conversation about how do we better serve the community? How do we better partner with the community? So you see in real time the processing of the evaluation information and how it turns into a real discussion about the practice. So that's the beauty of the work. And we get to do that you know, uh, on a monthly or quarterly basis with a lot of our projects. We're working right now on two human trafficking uh, prevention grants, which is huge work. Sure. So that's partnering with other you know, new partners like law enforcement, district attorney's offices. So we're kind of getting out of the social worker realm into different practice partners, understanding where they're coming from. Um, having amazing meetings with them, hearing their perspective on the work and how it intersects with kind of what we do. So so basically, day in the life is a lot of interaction with the partners, um, our own internal work, you know, um, try try to minimize those internal meetings because you have so many external, but a lot of teams, you know, hey, Mark, what do you think about this? And, you know, I, I love to be kind of the consultant on the projects, but our model is a strength-based model of People assign themselves to the projects that they have expertise in or want to learn more about and they have interest in. It used to be, I would say, okay, fill this gap. You know, we have this here. Can you do this? Now it's more people decide what they want to do. That's much better approach yeah. Yeah. because yeah. people are more invested in the work and they don't get burned out on one particular project. So I'm a support on a lot of projects and then, I'm, you know, I manage a lot of projects. So all of our team either manages or supports projects. And I think that's a good mix because they get the, their own kind of accountability and outcomes, and then they get to support other people. So cool, what's going great. on, right? Yes, you know, almost feel the humming just listening yeah. to them talk. <laughs> Absolutely. One thing that I want to circle back to real quick is I know you alluded to earlier, like results and how are we truly enriching the community. Can you think back to a couple of projects where you saw a true impact? through the work that the Social Work Research Center has done. Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, I mean, that research results is not just a tagline. I mean, it, it's really our philosophy and it's what what drives us. You know, I mentioned the, the kinship care work. You know, that to me is still our most important. And, you know, interestingly, we've followed that through. So we recently did a randomized controlled trial for what's called kinship navigation. So we started where apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Can we even place kids with their kin? Okay, so we did a systematic review. We debunked that. We created the evidence base that allowed for the policy and practice change. But what we also found at the time was kin caregivers, and especially in Colorado, are not certified like foster parents are. Right. So they're doing this because they want to help their kin. And they don't really want to be system involved. So they have traditionally a lack of resources, a financial and otherwise. You know, when you're when you're a certified foster parent, you know, you get you get monthly payments, you get other resources and services provided. So these kin caregivers really weren't getting that. Mm-hmm. So that evolved into a kinship supports approach and now kinship navigation. We were able to do a randomized control trial that just got submitted to the Family First Prevention Services Clearinghouse mm-hmm. and got a promising rating from the Clearinghouse, which is a huge accomplishment for the center and for the state partnership uh, in that the new model for the federal government is states in, in child welfare have to utilize evidence-based 
programs and practices now to get reimbursement. Mm. It, it used to be that uh, it was all based on foster care numbers. Sure. Mm. That's changed. And as we talked about, you know, with the move towards kinship care, you know, that's that needed to change. So now you have to have uh, evidence-based practices. So the fact that we were able to get the Colorado, uh, Colorado Connected, it's called, into the clearinghouse, that will now allow that practice to be reimbursed from a funding perspective from the feds, which is what will keep the practice sustainable and keep kinship caregivers viable in the care that they provide. So that's another big impact. The other one is- I have to say yeah, congratulations. Yes. I think that merits a way to yes, go. Absolutely, that's, that's, that's awesome. High impact stuff. That that really is high impact because that's now in the clearinghouse and what people will see that, you know, that we were a part of it. But again, it's that research practice partnership. It's when you do an RCT, it's not like you just wave a wand and it happens. You need the practitioners on the ground to agree to it. You know, there's always ethical concerns. You know, practitioners are like, I don't want to withhold something that we know is is beneficial. And we always say, well, we don't quite know it's beneficial yet. That's why we're doing this. Once we know it's beneficial, yes, then everyone should get it. Absolutely. And they have to have fidelity to the model. And so... I think that's so overlooked, and it's not something I want to talk about uh, just as a quick digression is, we have to understand that when we do research, it's not about subjects and participants. It's about collaboration and partnerships. That's what we do at the Social Work Research Center. It's collaborations, partnership. It's not participants, subjects. The people we work with are active collaborators and partners in the research we do. If, if they weren't, we couldn't do what we do. You can't do applied research without the community being engaged, mm-hmm. without them being partners in helping drive the agenda, identify where the data is coming from, help you make sense of the data, and help you disseminate the work. So I think that's that's probably our biggest impact is changing that paradigm a little bit because higher ed isn't always viewed uh, like that, Right. right. They view us as partners, as collaborators, as go-to resources for them. They don't just think of us as researchers. They think of us as, as active partners with what they do. Um, the other one is um, called differential response. And we did another RCT back in 2010 to 2012 on this. That's a, that's a shift in child protective services uh, towards a helping agency, Instead of doing an investigation on whether child abuse or neglect happened and having a finding, it's going to the family and doing a holistic assessment with them. What's going on in your lives? Where do you need resources? Where do you need support? So it's instead of a you know a system that's more punitive sure. or kind of uh, oppositional, it's again more of a partnership uh, with families. And we did the RCT on that. We showed that it was an effective practice. And that has now gone from five counties to, I think, over 40 and going uh, to the whole state. So another impact where that's and, – and, and our biggest finding there, I, I was called the, uh, the canary in the coal mine, was people who were randomly assigned to get what's called family assessment response instead of high-risk assessment – were more likely to say they would go back and ask for help from child protective services in the future. That's what it's about. It's that they that they trust that these that CPS workers are there to help them not to take their kids away because that is when you see media depictions of child welfare it's of, of the child welfare caseworker taking your kids away. Mm-hmm. 
and it's changing that dynamic, you know, through research and evaluation. So, you know, I think those are some of the bigger impacts we've had. Last one I'll say is just having a local impact. You know, the work we do here in Larimer County and Fort Collins. Larimer County has been our biggest partner since we started this work back from the days of Jim Drendel. And we're currently doing a five-year Children's Bureau grant called Supported Family, Stronger Community, and is creating an integrated prevent prevention services system in here in Larimer County. A no wrong door approach. So if a family goes to a, uh, an agency for services and they don't have that service, they know who does. They will refer that family uh-huh. to the agency that yeah. does and they will be able to get their services. So at the agency level, it's the no wrong door approach and it's that uh, referral sharing collaboration piece. At the community level, there are community navigators, individuals with live expertise who are uh, helping families navigate the very Byzantine service system. We're very fortunate in Larimer County to be well-resourced compared to a lot of counties and other jurisdictions probably across the country. But it's getting families to the right services at the time they need the service. So we have individuals who have navigated the system previously, now working with families to provide case management and service navigation so they can get the services they need and this is all voluntary for the, you know for the families, but the need right now is concrete supports. It's financial. It's rent. You know, it's mm-hmm. car payments. I mean, those are the things that families mm-hmm. really need uh, now. So it's helping them connect to those services, and um, you know, using our evaluation and research as a as a resource to under, understand how the referrals are being shared. We have this awesome referral mapping uh, project, uh, or, or, uh, or software. So agencies can see all the connections that are being made here in Larimer mm-hmm. County. So it's making that difference. We've done homelessness prevention work here in Larimer County, um, and, and Fort Collins. So I'm really keen on the local impact. Um, I honestly don't think we do enough of that. Um, I'm at the table. Sometimes I'm the only CSU person that, that they've seen in, in, in a while. And that, that does raise my eyebrows, Matt. Um, it, it does concern me, you know, I think we do a lot of amazing work here, but um, you know, I think that local impact work, uh, I think, is something we should really be focusing on. I'm going to follow up on that and, and flip the script on our last two questions. We, we typically talk about CSU's land grant mission last, but but given your observations, I think this is the place to talk about that. So talk to us about what being a scholar and a community partner means for you in the context of our land grant mission. I feel like our center really embodies the land grant mission of CSU. Uh, um, it's community embedded. It's community engaged. Um, it's focused on what can the university do for the community in which we live and the larger community. You know, how can we be good stewards of the funding that comes to us? How can we meet the needs of the community while also doing our academic work. I mean, listen, you know, like, like any academic, I love to see my work out in journals. I love to go to these conferences and, you know, but it's, that's kind of getting the glory part, but the glory only comes from the work that we do in the community, you know, and that's where I get my self-worth, so to speak, as a professional. I don't get it from being an academic. I get it from being a partner with people who do the really tough work and make the difference with families. So, you know, being a scholar to me means, um, you know, taking my training and my expertise um, that that we get from, you know, uh, from going through, a, you know, a doctoral program and, and from being in a community of scholars. But it's it's making it pay. It's, it's making the difference every day. What can we do that matters? 
and I think that's part of the podcast name. So, yes. you know, what matters and how can we do it and do it better? Um, and, you know, that's what I would love all of us to be focused on, you know, and when I go to like, the, I go to the college research day, that's where my eyes open. I'm like, wow, we are making a difference. And in so many different ways. I mean, the amazing work that's being done that you don't know about until you have these kind of opportunities to see. I'm blown away that, you know, it, that's what re, that kind of restores my faith that, yes, we are doing the right thing here at the college level. And it's in so many different directions, you know, and it's and it's so many different disciplines. But I think everyone does have that at heart that they want to make a difference. That, that's why we're here. So that's what keeps me here and, and keeps me excited is seeing, you know, all the all the new scholars that, that you know, that that have come here since I've been here right. and um, how incredibly trained and, and just brilliant they are. So, you know, I, I love to be part of that kind of community. Amen. I'm going to use that as a springboard for, for the last layer of this. And that, that's our college. Right. So. These colleges, health and human sciences, eight, at least at first glance, very different units, but woven together in a really important way that you just really beautifully articulated today. So, so what do you like best about being in the College of Health and Human Sciences? Yeah, as I said, I've been here the whole time, OT, education, social work. <laughs> we partner a lot with Prevention Research uh, Center, you know, HDFS. Um, you know, admittedly, I have less kind of, I have, you know, I have a lot of friends in, in, in different in different units, but, you know, I have less kind of professional opportunities with, with some of the other uh, units in the college. Yeah, I mean, I was back when it was called a different name. It was uh, right. Applied Human Sciences back then. And it might have even. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, um, so that, that that's one advantage of being here for a long time is just knowing the history. You know, we had, you know, uh, Brad Schaefer, you yes, know, right. um, you know, used to t- talk about the, the days before, you know, <laughs> it was Applied Human Sciences. And. What, what does the name change mean? You know, what, what does a name mean? And I, I think it's important. I mean, I think the health centering is really is is was a very smart decision. I think that is a unifying concept, you know, for the college. You know, we've had some amazing deans. You know, um, uh, that's been another relationship that I've been fortunate to have with you know with all the deans is trying to show the value that the social work research center brings to the college and. Um, the support we've received through all the all the different you know um, uh, departments I mentioned earlier, having that dean relationship is really important, and having the dean understand what you do um, and how you do it, and how they can help support you. And Dean Youngblade has been fantastic in, in helping us navigate the space issue, you know, for all these years, and been really creative and innovative. With um, now we're situated with Habic, uh, Human Animal Bond in Colorado. Prevention Research Center and, and Center for Community Partnerships. So having that synergy of four different centers at the college, I think, yeah. is is a really smart idea. Um, no, I think to me, it's it's a great college because of the work we do, change things for the better, to make a difference in people's lives across the you know the the continuum from birth to you know to to death, frankly, and everything in between, and all the different ways. So to me, it's just a dynamic place to work. Um, it there's so much potential there as things change and our world changes to have different disciplines really all working towards that common idea and goal. And um, there's, there's a lot of heart and soul in this college, I think. Beautifully yes, said. Well I, said. I want to add a word. <laughs> Thanks for spending some time with us. We really do appreciate it. Yes. Thank yeah, you thank so you much. too for doing this. It was really fun. I hope I enjoyed you enjoyed it. I did. Good. Great. Good. Good fun. Another great interview is in the books. Thank you for listening to this episode of Health and Human Science Matters. Stay tuned for the next episode. It's on the way. In the meantime, go listen to our episodes from seasons one, two, and three. And if you want to learn more about our CSU College of Health and Human Sciences, go to www.csu.edu.
chhs.colostate.edu.